Now, if you're new to Calvary, one of the things that we do is uh, we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll start in the beginning and we work our way through. We teach through as we go. And so we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We'd say Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you've been traveling with us, then you would know that Paul takes the first three chapters and he lays the theological foundation. And so we went through that. And then chapters four through six, the second half of the book, Paul begins to lay out the practical application. So there's gonna be some theological things that take place, but the emphasis is going to be on how we live this out. And so we, we came and we started chapter four. Now chapter four, Paul's starting place was the church and how we interact as, as members of the body of Christ. And then he turned his attention to the subject of spiritual gifts. And we've been looking at that as we go. And, and uh, I, I shared last week how I had hoped that we'd be able to go just a little bit faster. Um, but because of all of the perspectives, the wide range of perspectives on this, I thought it would be important to just highlight a couple of things. So we've gone a little bit slower last week. And then this week, next week, uh, we will pick up the pace, I promise. But uh, this week's a little bit slower. And again, uh, the reason for this is I know that in this room, if you grew up in church, we all come from a, a certain church background and we have these deeply entrenched perspectives. And uh, with that, I, so, so it's just good to share some perspective. Now, part of what we're gonna talk about today, if I can be honest, it, it might be uh, because of my church background. So I've, I've had the, I, I don't know if it's the blessing or the curse, I think it's a blessing, but God has allowed me to be around the entire church block, you might say. So part of my background is uh, in, in the church that I was part of was the King James only church. And uh, we had the piano and the organ. We sang from hymnals, second verse, ladies only, third verse, all the men. But we only read from the King James. And in case you're wondering, yes, my friends, I doth spake King James. So if you're wondering about that, I do. And uh, so that's, that's that side of my church background. Now, on the other side of my church background, which are wonderful people, both, both groups love Jesus very much, this part of the, my church background, there was a lot of running around the church, uh, falling down and rolling on the floors. Anybody who come from a church background like that? No, I'm not gonna say it's theologically accurate, but it was more fun. So, so, so do with that what you want. But, but hopefully as I go through this, I can share some perspective. And, and the perspective is important because in the end, even if you say at the end of this, I don't really agree with what you're saying, at least maybe you can understand how people who love Jesus as much as you, who read the same Bible that you read, but they come to some very different conclusions that you do. At least you can understand how they, they, they got there. And so I'll, I'll share some of that today. I also realize that what we're gonna talk about today is something that denominations will split over and uh, it's because there, there's so, so much perspective. And I realize that I only have a few minutes. And as I say I only have a few minutes, I'm not saying I have a few minutes to clear up the confusion because that's not true. I have a few minutes to share some perspective. But again, I realize that there are people come from very different camps. So at the end of this today, what I always say, if uh, somebody comes up to me at the end of uh, something, we talk about something very controversial, 
and somebody comes up and says, I disagree with you. My response is always, okay, <laughs> that's all I've got. That's all I've got. So I realize not everybody's going to agree. I'm not sharing with any antagonism. I'm just gonna share some perspective as we, we, we go. So again, Paul is writing to the church in, in Ephesus. We'd say the church of, or the, the book of Ephesians. And in chapter four, he begins to talk about spiritual gifts. And so just to piggyback off what we've said a few times, verse seven, it says, but to each one of us, each one of us, grace, was given, we underline that, according to the measure of Christ's gift, and we underline that, and therefore it says when he ascended on high, that is when Jesus went back to heaven, it says he led captive a host of captives, that is those who had died waiting for the Christ, the Messiah to come in anticipation, he leads them back to heaven with him, and then it says, and he gave gifts to men. So he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So you wanna underline the word gifts. Well, verse seven again, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given. And we mentioned the last two weeks that the word grace there is charis, and you can translate it as grace, or you can translate it as gift. So there on your outline, it says, he has given to each of us a special gift. And the word there is charis. And then at the end of verse seven, in my translation, it will say, was given to each according to the measure of Christ." gift. So you have gift there mentioned twice. And then in verse eight, the very last line of verse eight, it says, and he gave gifts to men. So he, he's talking about gifts that he's given. He said it every way he possibly can so that we don't miss what he's talking about. These are gifts that he's talking about. We're going to look at today. So write down that this passage talks about gifts, not church offices. These are gifts. And he says it every way that he can to make sure that we don't miss it. Let me also say that when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about personality traits. Uh, you have certain bents, certain personality traits, but the, we're talking about gifts that he gave when he went back. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be very different. Also, just so we don't miss it, you wanna write down these gifts were given when he ascended. When Jesus went back to heaven, he gave gifts to men. We call those spiritual gifts. There in your outline, when he ascended on high, he led, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. These are the things that he gave to us when he went back to heaven. Again, we call them spiritual gifts. Now in verse 11, it says, and it talks about some of the gifts. He says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So there are a number of gifts. These are the gifts that he's talking about here. There are different lists in, in different places. But here for this church, these are the gifts that he's talking about. And then he tells us the reason or the purpose of the gifts. Verse 12, he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. God gives spiritual gifts to each member of, the, of his body those gifts are given so that you can be a benefit to the rest of the body of Christ. So you use, you use your gift as a benefit to, to other believers. Now, then we come to the duration of the gifts. And so in verse 13, you know, how long do they last? In verse 13, for most of us, the first word will be until, until, until. Some of your Bibles will say till. But until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
And so when you look at the church world right now, um, some, depending on which list you look at, some would hold that there's about 250 main denominations. Others would hold that, yes, you have the main denominations, but uh, if you go online, you'll see that there are at least 30,000 kind of subsets of those. So there's a lot of different perspective. So when he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, I would suggest, I don't think that we've attained that just yet. Uh, so, so when will we? When will we? Well, we would hold, and you want to write this down, that these gifts will be in operation until Jesus returns. Now, last week, we went through some passages where we, we read those and showed uh, from our perspective why we believe that these gifts are in operation until Jesus comes back. Not everybody holds that, but that would be uh, our understanding. And then last week in verse 11, it says, and he gave some as apostles. And so last week we spent time talking about what does it mean when he says apostles. And uh, we, we, we mentioned there on your outline, apostles, apostolos from the Greek, just means one sent forth, one sent forth. And uh, that's the most common way of defining that, that word. And I put there all the little Bible dictionaries that I use, but they all say the same thing. And so last week we said that these are apostles, gifts that he gave when he ascended. These are not referring to the people that he called apostles during his earthly ministry. These are gifts that he gave when he ascended. And so it's, it's different than the 12. This is a gifting. It's not a church office. It's not a position. It's a gifting. It's a gifting to go forth. God puts certain gifts for people to go forth. And we mentioned last week, we, we might call those in our context things like church planters or missionaries. God has gifted them and, and they have to go. There's something, they, do, they, they have to go and they know it. Well, that's a gift. That's a gift. Not everybody has that gift, but, but, but they do. But then we come to verse 11. It says he gave to some as apostles and some as prophets, some as prophets. And uh, I wanted to take a few minutes today to talk about the New Testament gift of prophet to see what that means because, once again, there's such a wide uh, spectrum of understanding as to what this actually means. And so I thought maybe we'd take a few minutes to just kind of talk about that, at least from our perspective. And again, even if you're new to church, this is a good place to jump in because no matter where you go to church, uh, this is going to be a topic of discussion. So I'll share our position and, and why we understand this and, and maybe add some perspective to it. So once again, this would be a gift that was given when he ascended. When Jesus went back to heaven, he gave, he gave gifts. And one of the gifts he says is prophets, prophets. Now, there in your outline, a prophet from Thayer's Bible Dictionary is an interpreter or spokesman from God, one through whom God speaks. And that's kind of universally understood. In the New Testament, you have the gift of prophet, and then you have prophecy, the gift of prophet and prophecy. And the two aren't always the same, and so there's some differences there. So I wanted to highlight that, hopefully to, to bring some clarity, but not add confusion. On your outline, Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, but everyone who prophesies um, speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So here in the New Testament, by and large, 
prophecy would be um, uh, speaking to men for their strengthening. That would be making somebody stronger in their faith. Encouraging, some of your Bibles would use the word exhortation if you look that up, which would be more that you can do it, you, you're gonna make it kind of thing. And then, then comfort, comfort, which is just helping people in times of difficulty. When he dis, dis, defines that, that it's, it's strengthening, it's encouraging, comforting, let me just say it's never scolding or confronting. That's, that's not part of the definition. It's encouraging, strengthening, and comforting. When I teach the Bible and I share with you, hopefully it strengthens you in your faith. Uh, for some, it helps, you know, it exhorts to take action to, to get going. And for some, hope, hopefully it comforts. But when I do this, that would fall under the category that Paul is talking about right here in, in 1 Corinthians. Now, um, so you want to write this down. For most in the New Testament, prophecy, not the gift, but just prophecy, is more forth-telling, forth-telling, the heart of God more than foretelling, more than foretelling. So it's not telling the future here, at least not in this passage, but it's strengthening and encouraging. It's, it's forth-telling the heart of God, not necessarily predicting the future. So, so keep that in mind. Which is why Paul would in, continue on, and he would say this there in your outline. He says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So, um, which, you know, here it's, it's talking about the, the encouraging and, and, and the exhorting and, and comforting and, and making you strong. But not everyone who strengthens, encourages, and comforts is necessarily a prophet or gifted as a prophet. That's something that we can all do. We can all encourage, we can all strengthen, and we can all comfort one another. So that's what we can all do. But then he says there on your outline, he says, all are not prophets, are they? So the idea is not everybody has the gift of prophet, but everybody can strengthen, encourage, and, and comfort. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about somebody in the Bible who had the gift of being a prophet. They are the only New Testament example that, that's very blatant. They're called a prophet, and uh, we see what they do and what they don't do, and uh, hopefully it will give us some perspective when we think about this. And, and let me just say it again. There's only one in the New Testament after he ascended that is called a prophet that we have the, the example of. So we're going to talk about that today. So there in your outline... And again, he's the only example of the gift of prophet. There were more, but he's the most blatant so that we can look at that and get some perspective. So in the, the book of Acts, it says, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. I've underlined that. And by the way, his name means locust, locust. And I'll talk about that. He stood up and he indicated by the spirit, by the spirit. And here's the prophecy. You want to underline it that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world, all over the world. And that is the end of the prophecy. There's going to be a famine, severe, all over the world. Well, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and so Luke adds a little bit of commentary, but it's not part of the prophecy. And Luke says, and this took place in the reign of Claudius, Claudius. So Luke adds his commentary, and then everyone who hears what this Agabus has said 
we, we see how they respond. And he doesn't tell them, this is how you are to respond, but this is just how they respond. And it says, and to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So the prophecy is this, there's gonna be a famine, it's gonna be severe all over the whole world, end of prophecy, end of prophecy. So that's the first thing. Well, because Agabus becomes the example, there's another time that we see him. It's years later in the future, and it says, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, and I've underlined, this is what the Holy Spirit says. And then he gives the prophecy. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him over into the hand of the Gentiles. End of prophecy. He doesn't go on and say, this is what you're to do. Here's how you're to handle this. And you can read that later. He says, this is the end of the prophecy. Spirit says, say this. I say it, and that, that's, that's the end of it. Now they do respond, but he doesn't say anything more. So I, I wanna make a couple of observations about this. And, and uh, this is not part of the points that we're gonna fill out. These are just observations. And, and I wouldn't make these emphatic teachings, but just observations of this man, Agabus, who was gifted as a prophet after Jesus ascended. So first of all, you'll find he's the only uh, New Testament picture that we have where it says he's a prophet and we, we get to see what he does. Second thing, now this is just for me. His name is Agabus, which means locust. And I'm fascinated by Bible names because I think that every word is there by design. So when I think of his name means locust, uh, to me at least, and again, I wouldn't teach this emphatically, but I would say to me it means he's probably not a flashy guy. You know, if your name is locust, you're probably not a flashy guy. That's probably just for me. I also noticed that as a prophet who's been gifted after Jesus ascended, we notice that he's not confronting anyone and he's not scolding anyone. There is within church world, uh, if you were to take a spiritual gifts inventory and you're somebody who likes to scold people or confront people, they'll usually say that you have the gift of prophet. The problem with that is that there is no New Testament place that you can point to where it says this person is a prophet and that's what they do. Does that make sense? Yes. Being a jerk does not make you a prophet. I just put that out there. So, um, so there's no New Testament reference for that. Now I'm not saying that, but at least in the example, he's not confronting, he's not scolding anybody. Also, I notice, again, this, this is just an observation probably from my church background, but people are not lining up to have him prophesy over them. Uh, he, he just, God gives him a word at the right time. He stands up, says the word, and, and that's it. He apparently doesn't know everything about everybody all the time. It's just that when God wants to say something, God gives him the word, and he says that, but that doesn't mean he knows everything about everybody. I also notice, now this is just from my background, um, in my background, I notice that he doesn't give a prophecy as an intro to take an offering. Uh, because in, in my background, you gave the prophecy, that led into an offering, and you got people kind of going. Now, that probably means nothing to you. It's not wrong to take an offering. I'm not saying that. It's just that I just noticed that, and that's probably from my church background. 
I also notice as somebody who's gifted as a prophet, um, operating in his giftedness, he never draws attention to himself. He just stands up and says, this is what the Lord says, says it, sits down, doesn't even tell people what to do with it. Just, this is what the Lord says, that's all I got. So those are some observations. Now, here's the parts that I do want to, to uh, write down. When somebody, if, if he is the example, he's the example, um, then, then what I would say, if he's the example of a prophet, then if it's really a prophet from God, you wanna write down that they occasionally speak by the Holy Spirit. They occasionally speak by the Holy Spirit. Um, Agabus is called a prophet, so apparently God has used him in this, in this way before. Um, at certain times, God wants to reveal something, so he would reveal something to a prophet, and, uh, and they would speak that. Um, but it's, it's important to know that doesn't mean that everything that he says is a prophecy. You know, in the New Testament, Paul will talk about the other letter that I sent. And, um, but we don't know what those letters are because not everything that Paul wrote became Bible. So not everything that he wrote became scripture just as, as Agabus would speak. Not everything that he said was a prophecy. There's just times when God wanted to reveal something, God revealed it to him and he spoke it. He just spoke it. And uh, when he spoke, we noticed that nobody was asking him to prophesy over them. So that's, that's not what's happened. Just God gave Agabus the right word at the right time. So sometimes they speak by God, but it's not constantly, constantly. And then the next thing I'd want you to write down, and I couldn't find a better way to say this, is that if they're really a prophet from God, then uh, they will always speak specific, not misty. They have a better way of saying it. It's always going to be specific if it's God, not, nothing mystic. What Agabus was given to speak was outside of Scripture. He was speaking to a certain group of people, and what he said was very specific. Famine coming, whole world, everybody, severe. That's it. Uh, the next thing, whoever has this belt is going to be bound up, handed over. It's very specific. I want to give you a, um, an example that we experienced in, in our church. And it was back in 2004. There was the tsunami in Indonesia. You guys remember that, right? 300,000 people perished. Well, there was a missionary from our church. He was in Cambodia during the tsunami. So he calls back and he says, listen, I wanna go over to the church in Indonesia and, uh, and see how things are going and just check on it, just see if they're even there. So we said, absolutely, we funded it and we sent some money so he could minister and help out with some of the, some of the needs. So he goes there and he finds that even though there's all this devastation, you know, those people are missing everywhere, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have passed away, but everybody in the church was okay. That nobody, nobody was lost in the church. And so he goes to the church leadership and he says, how is it that all, I mean, there's like death and destruction everywhere, but you guys are okay. How did that happen? And so they, they shared that it was a couple of days before the tsunami hit, that they were having a church meeting. And in the middle of that church meeting, in the time of prayer, somebody stands up and they say, the Lord is saying that we are to go up to the mountain and pray. That's all they said. And everybody in the congregation sensed the same thing at the same time. They all sensed that they were to do that. So the entire church goes up to the mountain to pray, and that's when the tsunami hit. That is prophecy. That's when somebody's operating in the gift of prophecy. Does that make sense? 
Now, in that church meeting, they weren't lining up saying, would you prophesy over me? It's just God gave a word. They stood up. They spoke very specifically. And, and they listened. They went. And, and uh, you know the rest. So this is very different. Now, some of you come from a church ba- background, what I'm going to tell you, you've never seen before. You should, because it's a lot of fun. But it's a little bit weird. But um, when... When we think of prophecy, that's not always what we see around much of the church world. So when, when I went to seminary, my first church that I pastored in um, was in a church that was called First Church of God in Defiance, Ohio. Who knows where Defiance, Ohio is? It's, it's up in Northwest Ohio. And it was an amazing church, fantastic church. And my, my title was the third pastor. Uh, the first pastor was the senior pastor. The second pastor was the other pastor. I was the third pastor. And then we had the fourth pastor. That was our time. We weren't all that creative. So that, that was what we called us. So that church was amazing. They loved the Lord. They, they were spirit-filled. And, and they loved the things of God. And in that church and in that community, the church would participate in what was called flame meetings. Now, flame meetings were where all the charismatic churches would come together and each month, they would invite in a, a, a different prophet. And so the prophets would come in. And uh, so they had an auditorium as a school gymnasium. And we met at the same place all the time. And the prophet would come in, and they would begin to prophesy. And they would say, I remember very distinctly, two of them, I'll tell you about, the prophet standing up, and he's like, and I always had the microphone, the Lord is telling me, somebody, somebody here, you, you've had some back trouble it's, it's been going on for some time, and um, you've been to the doctor, you've been to the chiropractor, you've taken the medication, but nothing has worked. And they say, if that's you, you come on down. Guys, that's not Bible prophecy, that's probability. It's very different. So if I, if I stand up here and I go, the Lord is telling me that tonight here in this place, somebody, you have a back problem, you've been to the chiropractor, you've been to the doctor, I'll even be more specific, and you're over the age of 40. Yes, the Lord's telling you, you're over the age of 40. You know who you are. You come on down. By the way, I do that prophet thing pretty good, don't I? If this pastor thing doesn't work out, you know where I'm going, so... Just kidding. So that's not, that's not prophecy, that's probability. Um, I remember one time it was a lady prophet and she came in. And when I say prophet, I'm using that word very loosely. And uh, again, these people love the Lord, very godly. And uh, she's walking, she says, you know what? Somebody here is gonna have a baby. Well, this lady in our church, wonderful lady, stands up on the back row, screams, Come on down. She comes running down screaming. It was like she was the next contestant on The Price is Right, you know? And so she was going to get prophesied over. Because that's, that's not really prophecy. That's probability. In a room that size, there's going to be somebody who's pregnant. Somebody's going to have a backache. Does that make sense? All right. So when, um, when that happens, when God speaks, it's always going to be very specific, very specific, not misty. So typically what would happen in, that, in the, those times would be after um, they would do that, they'd have people come forward to be prophesied over. And so they come up in the line and uh, the prophecies always went sort of like this. There was some slight variation, but you'll get the idea. The prophet would have the microphone, they'd walk up and uh, the prophet would say, okay, 
I know what it, you, you've been praying about something and so far it hasn't come to pass and you're wondering what, what's, what's blocking that? Now is that pretty much everybody here by the way? Is that pretty much everybody? So some, and, and, and it hasn't come to pass and, but here, here's what I want you to know. God wants to answer that prayer and he loves you and he wants you to know that. But here's the thing, there, there's something that's blocking that and, uh, and God is saying that you have to, to remove that so that he can release that power and come in and answer that prayer. And it's something that you're holding on to. It's, it's something that the Lord, it's, it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a sin. And then the prophets say, I'm not gonna say it out loud. To which the person, no, don't say it out loud, whatever you do. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree that God's dealing with something in your life? I mean, didn't you think by this time in your life you'd be a little bit more spiritual than you are right now? Well, we all do, we all do. So that's very, and then here, here's how it ends. It ends by saying, so the Lord wants you to know that when you take care of this, you're gonna have the freedom to step in and release his power so that you can receive. So here's the thing, the prophet is always right. If the prayer is answered, it's because you dealt with it and so God was able to answer the, 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 the prayer. If the prayer isn't answered, the prophet is right because you apparently didn't deal with it and you never got your prayer request. It's very misty. What you notice here is that for Agabus, it had nothing to do with something going on in their life. He just stands up and says, famine, severe, whole world, end of story. You know, bound up, delivered over, that's it. So, so be very careful. When God has something to say, it's going to be very specific. Does that make sense? So, so you keep that in mind. Now, if somebody is really speaking under the gift of prophecy, God's really given that to them, then the next thing you want to write down is they will never contradict Scripture. They'll never contradict Scripture. And in both of those examples that we gave, Agabus never contradicted Scripture. And, and when they were in, the, in Indonesia, they, it wasn't a contradiction of Scripture. It's just God speaking in a certain situation. Agabus did not stand up and say, I'm a prophet with a new teaching. He did not contradict scripture. So it's just the Holy Spirit revealed something that that group needed to, to, to know. Your Bible is always your check and balance. So if they say something and it doesn't go along with what the Bible says, you don't have to receive it. You don't have to receive it. So Cheryl and I, in 2011, we were in a conference. We're not conference people, but we just happened to be there. We knew the guy who was doing it, and he has a powerful, a wonderful ministry. We had met with him, ate with him, and really enjoyed each other's fellowship. But in that conference, he stood up, and I think he got caught up in the emotion, but he said, I see in America so much prosperity, so much prosperity that every Christian is going to have a Rolls Royce in his garage. To which I'm thinking, I don't want no Rolls Royce. I'm more of a suburban SUV kind of, maybe a Ford F-250 super crude diesel, chrome stacks, lift kit, big wheels. Not that I ever think about it. But when he says there's gonna be so much prosperity in America that every Christian is gonna have that, well, um, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say it's gonna be prosperity and good times in the end times. What does the Bible say? Well, there in your outline, Paul says to Timothy and he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult, uh, God's word translation would say violent, a literal translation would say, perilous times will come. 
It's not gonna be good times in the end times. It's gonna be very, very different. And since 2011, would you say that we've ushered in a great deal of prosperity? Or would you say, no, it looks more like difficult, violent, and perilous times. So what I would tell you, there, there's more to come. There's more to come. And so you, you need to know that. So in the very best intentions, he gave what he thought was a prophecy, but God never contradicts himself. And so that, that would not be from the Lord. So in the two illustrations that we gave from Agabus and Indonesia, you know, they, they never contradict scripture. They just spoke in that situation what needed to be said. If somebody is a true prophet of the Lord, and, and this is probably more from my background, um, they'll never be intimidating or controlling, but they will always, and you, you want to write this down, allow others to evaluate if it's really from the Lord. They'll let you evaluate if it's really from the Lord. In the New Testament there in Corinth, as the church was beginning, they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written. Uh, they didn't have the Old Testament. Nobody spoke Hebrew there in Corinth. And so they, Paul had come and he'd given teaching. And uh, so they had guys in the church who spoke and they were called prophets. They would speak. And uh, Paul says it like this. He says, have two or three prophets speak and then have the others pass judgment. Have the others pass judgment. So somebody would speak and then they would say, does that resonate with you? Does that sound? And, and if they said, yeah, that, that sounds like that's from the Lord, they would go with it. But if it didn't, they'd say, no, I don't think that that's, that's, that's really, really the way it is. Now, in both cases that we looked at in Agabus, he never stands up and says, I am the prophet, you need to listen to me. And that's important because if they're a true prophet from God, they never do that. It's part of my church background, that would be very common for somebody to stand up and say, I'm the prophet, you need to listen to me. No, you don't, no, you don't. So when you hear of people saying that they are prophets or you hear of you know, prophecy and things like that, Agabus is the only clear example in the New Testament of somebody who is after Jesus ascended who had the gift of prophecy. So you want to look at Agabus and say, is what they're doing and saying, does it look a lot like this or does it look like something else? Because he's the picture. Well, um, that's what I wanted to say there, but let me just go a little bit further. Um, sometimes uh, somebody might have a prophecy for you and I can't tell you how many times in the past 25 years somebody will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, God told me to tell you. And it's never good news. <laughs> and it's usually when they're mad at me. Now, just so you know, and this doesn't go outside of this room, okay? I'm just gonna share this with you. But they come up and say, God told me to tell you. And on the outside, I'm always polite, but on the inside, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> so, but sometimes what has happened in my life and the lives of many others, someone will come up and they'll say, hey, I, I think I have a, a word for you. The, the, something, God's put something on my heart and I, I just, I have to tell you this and, uh, and that they will. And they'll say something like, is that something the Lord is, has been telling you? And, uh, and, and if it is, great. And, and many, not many times, but a couple of times that has happened in my life where that's been. So here's what you do. First thing, if somebody has a uh, prophecy for you, you want to write down, let the Lord confirm it. Let the Lord confirm it. There in your outline, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and he says, do not quench the spirit. Um, quench, you can also translate as extinguish, extinguish. He says, do not despise prophecies but test everything. 
and hold fast to what is good. One of the things that we need to understand is that God is perfect, but he works through imperfect people, which is why there are so many denominations. Uh, you know, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not perfect. And so sometimes what'll happen, somebody will speak and they'll really believe it's from the Lord, but, but they're wrong, they're wrong. Now, in the Old Testament, which is different than the New Testament, in the Old Testament, if somebody spoke and they said it was the Lord um, and it wasn't, you had to take them out and stone them. Um, that's very hard to explain to a jury today. You know, they came to church, they said it was from the Lord, we found out it wasn't, so we took them out back and we stoned them. Um, the jury does not say, well, thank you for your commitment to biblical accuracy. They don't do that. You can't go Old Testament uh, on people in the New Testament as New Testament believers. But in the Thessalonican church, Thessalonians, um, because some people got it wrong, they got it wrong, uh, the rest of the church said, you know what, they got it wrong, so here's how we're gonna respond. No more prophecy. We're not doing that anymore. That, that's, that's just done. Well, Paul would say, and by the way, when they said no more, that was despising it. That would be to despise it. So Paul says, hey, don't despise it, but test it, test it. And then hold on to what is good. See if there's really something to it. And if there is, good. And if, and if it's not, then you know, let, it, let it go. So those are just some thoughts. Now, I wanna give you one final point, which may be the most important point that I give. I think it's the most important point that I could give today. And, um, and, here, and it's this, write this down. As Christians, we are not led by prophets, but we are led by the Holy Spirit. We're not led by prophets, but we are led by the Holy Spirit. Paul would say it like this. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, and I've underlined that, these are the sons and daughters of God. These are the sons and daughters of God. God wants us to be led by his Spirit. That's why there's not a single reference in the New Testament after Jesus was raised from the dead and he gives gifts where anybody ever goes to a prophet to seek counsel. Not one time in your Bible. Um, not one time in the Bible after Jesus goes to heaven does anybody say, prophesy over me. That doesn't happen anytime. I'm not saying that can't happen, I'm just saying there's no example of that. When Agabus spoke, they weren't coming to Agabus saying, prophesy over us. It's just the Lord gave him a word at the right time. It was the right word, he shared it, and that was the end of it. So we're to be led by his spirit. God has given to you and me his word. He's given his spirit. And uh, he's also given us some good godly counsel around us. So we don't go to a prophet to get counsel. And uh, that's probably more from my church background. Well, that's kind of it, but I wanna say one more. Did you find that at least interesting today? Good, good. And, and again, there, there's a lot more that could be, be said, but... Um, on the bottom of your outline, I have something there like um, now for some real fun this week. Does your Bible say something like that? Something real fun? Okay. I want you to have some real fun. I'm not talking about your everyday run-of-the-mill fun. I'm talking about real fun here. So I want you to go home and um, I want you to go into your search engine and I want you to search Didache, uh, PDF, or some would pronounce it Didache. I pronounce it Didache. Now, the Didache is a very short document it was written at the end of the first century 
when uh, the apostles had pretty much passed away and it was distributed, it was written by the church leadership and it was distributed throughout the church world. Wherever there were churches, they distributed it. It wasn't scripture, but it was actually part of several different Bibles up until the 600s. It's, it's revered as something that's, that's very important. And uh, the, pro- the reason I want you to read it is there's, there's two things. At the end of the first century, when many people said these things had all passed away, the Didache has, it is answering the question. They have all these people showing up saying, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. And so the church leadership came together and they didn't say these things passed away. They said, how do we determine what is a real prophet and what is a false prophet? And uh, so it defines that. And I think you'll find that interesting. Also, you'll find that at the end of the first century, when the apostles had passed away, there were people showing up in the churches and they were saying, I am an apostle, one sent forth. They didn't say, well, that's, there are no apostles. They just said, how do we determine what is a true apostle and what is a false apostle? So if nothing else, you'll be able to understand how the church at large understood these things as the first century came to a close. And uh, it'll be interesting just to see how they processed it, how they thought about it. And uh, again, it's not scripture, but everybody uh, accepts that it's, it's authentic and uh, it's, it's, uh, it was important in the early church. So you'll enjoy reading that and then let me know what you think about that. Well, with that, we're gonna go ahead and, and close in prayer. All good? Good. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, your spirit, and thank you, Lord, for this congregation that loves you, your word, and your spirit, and the things of God. And Lord, we want to follow you, and we want to rightly divide the word of truth. We don't want to despise some things, but we don't want to accept everything. And so thank you, Lord, for giving us spiritual wisdom as we go forward. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.